Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, this is Peggy Amanisi. Did you ever wonder where our loved ones go after they pass? Are they gone forever? Is this what life's all about? Living and then dying and that's it? We cease to exist? Well, I hope by listening to my show we prove to you different. Um, We have many mediums on and we do readings free. And hopefully we'll bring your loved ones to you to show you that uh, heaven is for real. So stay tuned, and we'll tell you who our guests are tonight. Thank you. Hi, this is Peggy Manisi, back on the air. Um, I have a special guest tonight. He's a grieving father and a keynote speaker on grief and also the author of uh, three books. Uh, his name is Arklin Kelly. I'll be bringing him on. He'll be talking about his perspective on um, being a grieving dad and how men handle things differently. And um, I'll be bringing him on now. And I just want to extend my prayers to my co-host. She's down with the flu. So, Marsha, let's hope you get better soon. Sending our love to you. Okay, I'm going to bring on uh, Ron now. Okay, hold on, please. Hi, Ron. Hello, Peggy. How are you? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. Well. I'm and, good. 
And and prayers to your co-host as well. I, I hate to think about anybody being down. Oh yeah, yeah. She's got a lot of things going on, and the last thing she needs is the, needs is the flu, you know. So anyhow, Ron, let's talk a little about uh, you. I mean, we know I, I'm also an author of the book Rainbows, Butterflies, and One Last Hug. Um, grieving mother of two, lost um, parents, husband, two children, two nephews, and the list goes on and on. And oh. um, but we're going to talk tonight about uh, the differences, um, you know, about grief in general, of course. But about the sure. differences of the way men handle it and women handle it and what have you. And let's start with you. Tell us about you, what you've been doing, how you came to what you're doing, and uh, about your son. Okay? Um, so Great. The floor is yours. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm honored to be here, and I, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, the first thing I like um, to tell people, first and foremost, is I am the father of Jonathan Taylor Kelly. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of us who seem to almost lose an identity as a parent sometimes, especially when you're in my shoes and, and you lose an only child um, mm-hmm. and you worry about whether or not you're still a parent. One thing I like to say right up front is I am the father of Jonathan Taylor Kelly. Uh, right. I lost him in 2013. He had uh, he was born, unfortunately, with a rare congenital heart defect known as hyperplastic left heart syndrome. Um, wasn't supposed to make it to his first day. Uh, miraculously, through uh, God's ways, of course, we were put up immediately with a fantastic surgeon who rebuilt his heart and gave him a prognosis for a full life. Um, lived a very prosperous life. He thrived very well. But unfortunately, at the age of 16 and a half, I lost him. Um, it was during a, uh, a relatively routine medical procedure. Uh, they're never routine. They all have risk, especially when you have a heart condition like he had. Um, and I was, I was lost for a while, of course. I was, I was a grieving father who didn't know how to grieve and didn't know, you know, what was what I was going through normal. Um, right. Mainly because I saw others around me, uh, you know, a large cachet of, of women who were all grieving differently than I was. And it confused me because I didn't know if, if uh, I was doing it right. I, I didn't know what grieving was. Um, I had shut it all out for a point right. until one magical morning getting ready for work about six months after John passed, he, he came to me in the shower. Um, I didn't expect it. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for it. He just decided that he was going to come visit me. And basically to, mm-hmm. to cut the word short, uh, the, the conversation all centered around how dare you. Um, and from that mm-hmm. point forward, I, I took on a new role in life. I, I left corporate America I decided that uh, my life was going to be uh, finding out first and foremost who I was and, and why I acted the way that I did. And was I okay, which was a major key mm-hmm. point, was I okay? And I found out that I am okay. Um, and then I, I wrote a few books, and, and I, I became sort of sought after as a speaker for somebody who would stand on stage and give the male outlook to what it's like to, to grieve. And it's right, been a... Right. Um, I, I would rather not live this life, but it's been a phenomenal life supporting others and traveling around and, and having the opportunity to meet other people like you. And there's a difference once we've been through this fire that we all seem to be so much more compassionate than others that we know. Um, right. And when you go out and you meet these people, you find out that um, you'd rather not have met them, but you are so blessed for doing so. Yeah, I think the big and, and thing, by, too, is you're not alone that's the most important thing we we all feel so alone with uh when we lost a child you know lose a child Absolutely. and uh it's important that we 
we know we need to reach out and we, you know, uh, need to continue this journey in life. Uh, God's plan for us, it's hard as heck to, uh, to do, but we have to do it, you know, for the others in our lives and for ourselves. So we all come with a plan. It I is believe, hard. So. Yes, it I is. came to the realization that, that he um, he and God had a plan for, for John when he came down to this earth. And I was, I was blessed to be a part of that plan. Um, mm-hmm. It gives me a lot of pride, and, and I'm a guy, so I, I suck up a lot of pride whenever and wherever I can get it, right? So I took pride in the fact that when John and God were designing John's plans for his short life here on earth, they looked mm-hmm. down from heaven and said, there's a guy, there's a good guy you can go spend 16 years with. So yep. how, do you, how do you get by that? No, I believe the same. You know, I've lost two children eight years apart, and both uh, sick to cystic fibrosis. We're 28 and 22, and um, people have asked me, how do you do it? I said, how, how am I supposed to do it? I, like how do you, I how feel, do you not do it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel blessed that I had them. For the time that I did, I was always very religious and spiritual. My dad worked for the church for 50 years, so I grew up with a lot of religion. But I became mm-hmm. even more spiritual after their passing by signs they've sent me, like you, John, you know, Jonathan coming to you. All these weird right. things were happening. So I wrote my book, and I'm writing other books about it. Um, you know, at first I was afraid to tell people because they think we're crazy, you know. And maybe <laughs> we are, but I don't think so. I have docu- sure. a lot of documentation, you know. There's nothing but, wrong with being uh, crazy. And we're all, as you said, you know, you felt this was a plan. We all come with a plan. Jonathan, you, me, my Megan, Mark, we all come with a plan for and I don't have the answer. Here, which, oh, when I get, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're still here, so that we're still here, so that means our plan hasn't been finished yet. Exactly. So exactly. We've got exactly. much to do. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit now about your um, life. I mean, what did you do for a living? You said you were uh, in the uh, Air Force, if I recall, or the Marine no, was Air I, Force. Yeah, I ran away as a kid to join the circus, and the, the circus wouldn't have me, so I joined the Marine Corps instead. So I, I stayed in the Marine Corps, and I did my four years in the Marine Corps, and, and uh, I was a military policeman in the Marine Corps. So when I came back home to Washington, D.C., I, I joined the police department here. And I stayed right. on the police department until the tragic events of 9-11, and I transferred over to the U.S. State Department and worked uh, as a diplomatic security service agent, so as a federal agent for a while. And mm-hmm. um, then I went, into, I went into private business, and, and basically I went into the defense industry, and I wrote mm-hmm. proposals. I wrote defense contract proposals, and I was earning – um, you know, upwards of $300 million and $600 million for a contract award for somebody else by my writing. And that was right. one of the things that, incur- that, that encouraged me to step out of the corporate world and write for mm-hmm. other people. If I, if I could write, if I had the skills to write where I could earn somebody $300 million, and my gosh, I could certainly write a book and try to help out those that are going down the same path as you and I. Exactly. Exactly. I felt the yeah, I'm you know, I'm a woman sixty four with MS. I've been intuitive my whole life but didn't understand it, didn't know what it was and at sixty I came out to everybody. Um people that I grew up with always knew that I was a little different. I thought mm-hmm. I was it was my norm, you know, but I didn't quite understand it. But it took the death of my children with everything that was going on. I'm like they wouldn't 
let me not use the gift now. And <clears throat> I feel blessed that I take this gift at no charge and I help other people going through grief because, you know, you're alone with this. When, when it happens to you, even though it happens to others, you're alone with this at that right. time. You and and you, you've, got, you've got what I call grief gifts. And, and nobody wants these gifts, but once we have them, we're going to run with them. But one of the grief gifts that we Amen. get is the fact that we have, we have been through the fire. What can anybody do to judge me or hurt me now? Amen to and, that. And that was, one, that was one of the things that put me on stage as a man going, hey, I hurt too, is the fact yep. that nobody can, nobody can judge me now. I'm not worried about anybody's judgment. I've gone through, and I know you've been through so much of the fire yourself with your kids and your husband and parents, and I've lost my parents too, but I'm at that point now where you can't really hurt me. You can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing anybody could do. It kind of made it dangerous while I was still working in a profession before I left because I went into work every day and went, whatever, fire me. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Come but yeah I feel too. I mean, I've also, I lost two siblings, so I've experienced every kind of grief there is. Uh, I'm a widow. I've two siblings to cancer. I lost the two kids to tuberculosis. My husband and son nine months apart. Uh, oh. I've, the gambit. I've done the gambit. So, and right. I don't take, I stress on my show, I don't take away from anyone else's grief. The only no, thing I do no. say, grieving, grief of a child, or in my case, children, there's mm-hmm. no words for it. Uh, I've said before, uh, uh, you lose a, a spouse, you're a widow or widower, you lose a parents, you're an orphan. There is no word mm-hmm. that's ever been used for the pain of the grief of a parent. So there is no right. words. There's nothing mm-hmm. out there. And he said it is the worst of the worst, you know, and nothing can touch you after that. I I used to be a hothead, in, and, like, somebody said to me, I'd come, I would be a very, you know, offended by it. Now I just mm-hmm. let it roll off my shoulder. I said, there's nothing like you, Ron. <laughs> there's nothing you can say or do to me that's going to hurt me anymore because I've had the worst there is. So, so I agree with you on that. That is that is the grief gift. We don't want it. We would give it back if we could have our lives back the way it was. But you know what? To yeah. me, I consider it a gift, and I'm going to run with it. I'm just not going to let anything hurt me because I've been through the fire. Yes, exactly. And what people I don't think get to understand, and I, I find too, is that everyone thinks that they're immortal. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. And and when I know uh, one of the reasons I, I started the show was the fact that I needed uh, people needed a venue. Um, I there was no my my daughter died actually on Mother's Day in 2002. Uh, talk Aww. about uh, you know I'm like I okay triggered. this forget it no I mean Mother's Day everybody that loses a child doesn't even like to celebrate Mother's or Father's Day but to actually lose one on that day is like okay God this is that that's that's the bottom that's the, the that's the pits of hell you know yep. and. And then I had to turn it around and said, you know what, my daughter, like your son, was di- she was diagnosed at three. They said her lifespan would be five to ten years. She made it to almost right. 29. She had two healthy children. They were four and seven when she passed. But mm-hmm. I said, you know what, I turned that around and I said, you know what, God took her home on Mother's Day. Cause she was a fantastic, phenomenal mother. She taught me to be a better mother. And I said, he oh, took good. home on that day to make a statement because she was one of mm-hmm. the best mothers I've no. And so you oh. got to kind of take, and I, I talk a lot on my show, Lemons to Lemonade. You have to take the mm-hmm. lemons in life, the sour, and turn it into something sweet. And by what you're right. doing and I'm doing and others like us, 
that's what that's what it's all about, you know, turning their lemons to lemonade. Yeah. So tell us about your life with him. I mean, he did he do everything every other kid did once the heart got fixed when he was younger, football, baseball, any of those things or what what was Jonathan's life like? He had limitations, of course, because he only had in, in hypoplastic left heart syndrome means basically the left side of his heart uh, never developed in the womb. So he was born uh-huh. with just the two healthy right chambers. So they reconstructed his heart to operate right. on only the two right chambers. Now, that uh-huh. meant that he was going to have a, a lesser degree of oxygen saturation in his blood. In other words, his oxygen level wasn't going to be the same as yours and I. So he was always going to be a little more tired. He, he, he would get tired easily. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other thing was, unfortunately, because the, the reconstructive surgery had to be done in three separate open heart surgeries because it was too invasive to be done all at one time. It was too strenuous. He couldn't have survived it if they were done it all at one time. There was right. so, much, or, excuse me, so much scar tissue on his heart at the completion of the third and final surgery that they also had to put a pacemaker inside of him because the, mm-hmm. the rhythm was slightly retarded. So, right. you know, he couldn't, play, he couldn't play organized sports except for golf, and he loved golf. He grew up as a golfer, and then his senior year, uh, senior year, I'm sorry, his freshman year, his first year in high school, he got on the golf team. And oh, wow, cool. That was, the year he, that was the year he passed away, but he made it, and that was his big aspiration was to get on the golf team. Um, wow. Just uh, I don't know if it was because of the way that he um, – he sort of developed uh, with his own, you know, with the medical problems, but he had a heart of gold. He was the Pied Piper of children. I had a, you know, for the 16, or let's say the, the, I don't know, the 12, 13 years that we had as him having friends over at the house, I had a house of kids all the time. We, he seemed to be a magnet for other kids, um, mm-hmm. just a heart of gold. So, and then right. at his service, uh, when the entire cheerleading team showed up, I thought maybe I should have kept a better eye on social media too. But you know, that's another <laughs> thing, I guess. <laughs> that's but just a, a wonderful, yeah, I, wonderful boy. I find with these kids too. The, I, I when you and I briefly talked and we talked uh, the other day, my kids too. Mm-hmm. They were well known, well liked. I I called myself a Kool Aid mom because everybody was always at my house. They were very yes. popular. The night my son passed, all I wanted to do was come home. I was stuck in the city for a week. He, the last week he was in a coma. He needed a double liver, a double lung liver transplant, and I was just exhausted. I was oh, so gosh. sick. And I'm laying down, and all oh, of a good. sudden I see lights and cars. And my son was a race car driver uh, down at English Town Raceway. Mm. The kid they called him. And to make a long story short, tons of cars piled in that night. Everybody talked about I mean, there must have been 75, maybe 100, 100 cars at my house. It was, like, insane. Everybody brought candles. And I found that these kids really um, – they're, they're earth angels. Um, I, it sounds mm-hmm. like Jonathan was that way also. You know, they're very well liked, and it's, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. It is. They're just amazing. But then the influence, just, that, the influence that they have, and I'm sure you probably saw this with your kids too, but the influence they have on other children is amazing because there was a – and I won't tell the story, but there's an amazing story about a man who, who basically wrote something to the effect of, where is my perfect child? And I can relate to that because I always wondered, and I got to it, of course, with prayer and, and support by God, but, you know, where was my perfect child? I came from a perfect family, a leave it to beaver family, three boys, two girls, we're all healthy and hearty and hale, and where was my perfect child, God? 
And then I read a story about um, something that brought me back to John. And I've watched John and his friends grow up in the yard. And I would work in the garage over the weekends. And I'd, I'd look outside and watch him playing. And when John would lose a step, his friends would slow down. And they never wow. thought I saw them doing that. But I would watch these kids be so compassionate to John in those ages, those young ages of boys when they could have been turning mean, how they treated John. I think right. that was my perfect child. Exactly, exactly. No, I, I totally, I get that. I get that. And our kids have love a legacy. Um, I, I know mine has, Jonathan has. A lot of other, because I have grieving groups too, um, private ones mm-hmm. that I do to help others. Right. And they all seemed to have, even though they were here for a short while, such great purpose, you know. And oh, yes. they not only touch our lives as parents, I felt, but everybody's mm-hmm. life they touch, even after their death, you know. So well, they, the they, biggest they, thing they, I believe about the the biggest thing I believe about the plan and, and God's plan is. Jonathan had a rare heart defect, and even when he was old enough to make his own decisions, he still elected to go in and let them do research on him. And, and trust right. me, besides that, they, they had a tomb of medical records and research on John. But as he got older, he was the first one to look at me and say, I'm helping other children that are going to be born from here on out, and maybe mm-hmm. they will live a a better life than, than I am. Maybe they can play contact sports. Maybe they can do this and do that. He lived a life of service. And when he came to me in the shower that day, and I didn't say everything that he said, but keep in mind, for some reason, God led me to a life of service. I, I went and served my country, and I came home and served my community and went back and, and served my country again. And those mm-hmm. were the happiest days of my life. And I got out of that and got into private business, and I was miserable. And when John Mm -hmm. said to me, how dare you not live out the legacy I left behind for you? And that legacy was service. He said, Dad, go back to serving other people. That's what makes you happy. Yeah, yeah. That's what was the same thing I've done. I mean, this and 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 the, and the grieving sites and and what have you. I just want to make one mention for the show, uh, people. If you call in, our new number is nine one four two zero five five four four eight. If you'd like to speak to us, I see people in the uh, on board, but you have to hit uh, the number one Q to talk to us. Okay, thank you. All right, so go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was it. It was just. John had a life of service, and I love that. He recognized the fact, and I think he lived for service, and possibly that mm-hmm. was his plan. He and God had developed a plan where he would come down and help out other children. It's just it was a 16-year plan. Just like we don't know exactly. the number of our days, we, we don't know what our plans are. We can only hope that we're, we're going down the right path. Um, exactly. And when my plan is done, I'll get called home too. Well, you know what they say. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. You know, and though exactly. our kids may have been, they lived quality by their works, you know, and by mm-hmm. people they um, uh, helped in so many different ways. They, they they kind of like were lights of the world. That's what I say that, uh, you know, light bulbs go out in people's heads when they meet kids like our kids, seeing that they're, you know, you and I shared a story the other day. My son was in ICU and he, he used to be able to get car parts for people where other people couldn't get it. He'd be on, in ICU on critical condition on the computer getting car. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what is this <laughs> Like, what Good. are you doing? But it kept him I'm going, serving. just like 
me going and your 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 events keep you going um because we're all contributing to the world um oh, yeah. we have um Joan is on the line wants to speak to us from from Florida good good okay she kind of hooked us up not kind of hooked us up so let's let's talk to Joan a little bit about her feelings about the show and about you and about our work okay and then we'll Very get back good. to our story okay hold on one second please hi Joan Hi, Peggy. Hi, Ron. How are you? Hi, Joan. I'm good. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so glad that I was able to connect you and Peggy together because I knew that both of you have tremendous gifts and each has a quality to help so many people. And I know that when we met a few years ago at the um, Only Child um, Conference in Virginia mm-hmm. that time, that was a, that was a godsend for me. And I've been enjoying your um, comments tonight and your sharing with Peggy. I'm not going to take a lot of time because I know there's probably other people that want to speak with you, but I'm just very proud of you, and I'm very happy that you Aww. are my friend, okay? And I bless Aww, Joan, you. Joan, thank you. Just, and, and you're a good kid, so just hang in there. And Semper Fi, brother, <laughs> Semper Fi. <laughs> Joan, Let's tell Joan, a little bit of your you story. We, we got time. I got two, a two-hour show. It's no biggie, so oh, <laughs> tell your okay. story. Well, you know me, Peggy. I could talk till the cows come home tomorrow. But um, okay. basically, <laughs> I, I, met, <laughs> I, um, I lost my only child, just like Ron lost his only child. And my son, Marco, had cystic fibrosis, and he was 32. And um, unfortunately, Marco's legacy stopped when Marco passed. So I don't have any grandkids. I'm just basically alone. And um, when I go, lights are out. That's it. That's all she wrote. So there is no more in the family. Um, And it is difficult. And that's why I try to throw myself into being busy and keeping busy and trying to get involved with other grief support groups, and especially with like-minded people like we are that have lost a child um, or have had a child pass from a disease of some sort, you know, it doesn't matter if they died from a disease or, or the war or an accident. It's just, it's a loss and it's traumatic and it, it just hits you in between the eyeballs here. You know, it's just, it, it's a it's a shock. And even though that child had been sick, you know inevitably that it might happen, but not when it does. It's, it's, it is shocking and it is very mm-hmm. heart-wrenching. But, um, no, um, I appreciate what you both are doing, and I'm glad that you guys could, you know, get together. And I don't know who all is listening or who's on the uh, on the board or who's on the uh, uh, radio program, but I invited a whole lot of people, and I spread the mm-hmm. word, and I hope that they're taking advantage of listening to this radio show and in the future continue to listen, Peggy, to your show, and also to continue to support Ron because as a guy – I'm not speaking as a guy because I'm a girl, but the thing is, though, Ron's right. Men do grieve differently, and they have a whole different mm-hmm. dynamic. And they don't, you know, they're strong, they're tough, they're not supposed to cry, they're, they they can handle it, they can, they're the saviors, you know, we've got this and all that. But, you know, they're human too. And men exactly. really probably didn't have a, a, a um, how should I say, a, I can't find the right word, but a network to find to support like a men's group because, you know, oh, we're supposed to go to the bar and drink a beer and and end it that way. No, you know, I mean, it's, 
I don't I don't really know. I'm not really really too good on the vernacular here tonight. I'm all flubbed up you're here. Getting it. You're, <laughs> my word. You're doing, you're doing good. You're doing fine. You're doing, you know, you, you and Ron share the loss of your only child. You and I share the loss of our children to cystic fibrosis. Both of mine died to the same thing. Marco died. My Marcus and Meg. Correct. And um and I just want to stress, I also lost in 2012, um, I got hit also with Hurricane Sandy. Um, a year after my husband and son died, um, I lost everything I owned. I had to be rescued. Um, lived in the house up until a year ago, bought a new house, but lived in half a house <laughs> until I got this yeah. place. So, I mean, talk about Godsmack, but, you know, it made me stronger. Um that's all I can say. I sometimes look at my own life and I'm like, okay, I'm not Job, God. <laughs> enough, enough. I've had it. I've had it. But then again, it brought me to who I'm supposed to be. Have you? Um, what is the difference? I'm going to ask you both, okay, from a man's perspective mm-hmm. and a woman, uh, other than myself. Um, how have you both changed? Whoever wants to take the floor for how have you changed since your children's deaths? Well, Don't you go well, ahead. Go I've, I've got so much to thank you for for what okay. you've said already. <laughs> I'll go quick, and, and it's funny because, okay, the first year I was numb. I didn't know even what was going on. The second year, it was just a little bit tougher where I got the realization. The third, fourth, and now going into the fifth year that Marco's gone, he'll be gone five years in June, and it's becoming softer, not that it's being mm-hmm. forgotten. God knows, Never but it's becoming softer. And, yes, I do have little bouts where I'll be driving down the road or I'll listen to the radio or I'll hear something or I'll see something or whatever, and bingo, it triggers a memory, and that's it. That's all she wrote, you know, and I'm I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. So, basically, um, it it becomes softer, but I'm not as desperate, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I never had, and I never had an idea to end it all or just, you know, ruin my life that way forever and in yeah. eternity. I I wish that Marco would come to me more than not because he hasn't really in the past only maybe once or twice where I've seen him in a right. dream or I've seen somebody that looked like him or I've seen like in the corner of my eye, I'll say, oh my God, that looked like Marco or something, you know, but um, I, I wish... I wish that I had more, you know, interaction with him, but maybe I'm not ready for that. Who knows? And maybe he's so busy up there that he's like, Mom, leave me alone. Let me, let me get my stuff done, you know? No, and you know what? They are. And press that I am intuitive uh, besides being a grieving mom. First of all, I want to um, let people know I've been on the air four years. All my shows are archived. You can listen to them at your leisure anytime, okay? So if you want to go back, we have – uh, we talk about cystic fibrosis, uh, different diseases. Uh, it's not just about signs or intuitive readings, okay, uh, about how uh, the different phases of grief where they say there's five stages. That's baloney. There's no five stages. Everybody handles it differently. No. Yes, we go through the numbness and the denial and the, and the anger and blah, 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 okay? But it, And I tell people where you say it's softer, I said, look, it never gets better. It gets different. No. It gets yeah, different. It true. gets different. Right, yeah. and that's yeah. true. And and the thing is, there have been – now, I think it was the second year. I think it was two years ago, maybe the third year. I don't know, that I went up to the um, Alive Alone in Loving Memory of Your Only Child, and this was up in uh, Virginia that I took advantage of going to that course, and that's when I met Ron up there, and he was one of the keynote mm-hmm. speakers, and he and he spoke and all that. 
And and the thing is, um, it, that was that was interesting to me to partake in that. And I went home feeling a little better and feeling connected to other people in this earth that are like me that do not have an, another child. They don't have any grandchildren. They never have that that privilege. But um, recently, than not, um, and I wish I could participate in more grief. Um, programs. I know there's a big one coming up in Arizona in another few months. I wish I can get out there. And the thing is, um, there's one called Grief Share. Now, I know it's a Christian-based um, nonprofit group that is 13 weeks long. And I just started going to that. And it's becoming very interesting. Now, they don't push doctrine. They don't push push religion or anything. But basically, right. they try to help you walk through that journey and just kind of move on with feelings and emotions, knowing that it's normal and and you're not going to be alone in this, and that mm-hmm. you know um, God did not punish you for anything, you know, and and you're not going to be yeah. doomed to a life of um, misery. Um, you are going to see your loved ones again, and I do believe that, you know. So yeah, um, but basically I mean, they I help think you. I think I got the yeah. Done. Yeah. Understand all that. So, but listen, I don't want to yap all night because you know me. I can yap all night, Ron. No, the board. Every <laughs> listening. Nobody's in the queue to talk, so people are just listening. So it's no biggie. I'm not, you know, oh. I'm not trying to push. Off. That's it's fine. Now, and I also want to tell people, I am a Christian. I was. My dad worked for the church. I'm still a Christian, even though I'm intuitive. I also have a guest on uh, Kevin Schopel, who's a Baptist deacon, who's written three books. So the last two, he's posted about or put in put me in them. Um, how it isn't wrong to have this gift. I mean, you know, like anything else, there can be dark people using it for dark purposes. Um, when you use it, I don't charge anybody. Um, I pay for my show, so I'm not getting paid to do my show. Um, so if you're using it for the right reasons, God promotes that. It's a gift, okay? And uh, I know a lot of people say to me, like, um, you can't do this if you're a Christian. Well, if you read some of Kevin's books, you'll see, he, and he's very versed in the Bible, you'll see that it's not prohibited like they say it is, you know? Because that's why I didn't use it for years. I was like, my dad will kill me, you know? <laughs> I didn't know what's going yeah. on here. It might be a bust, you know? But um, it took me 60 years, to, and I came out on the show. And I didn't intend to do that when I did the show. I just wanted to give people a place to vent, and it just happened. So I know I'm going with the flow now. And, um, and Joan, you spoke about you don't get many signs. Um, they come to us. They do. You know, people don't realize. I'm not an authority on it, but from what I do know, heaven is just like here. We work. We do everything pretty much that we do here, you know, but it's complete love, no sickness, blah, 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 blah. So when people aren't getting signs, they are working on the other side, you know, and they come on their time. You can have dream visits, um, and they're very real. They're not, you know, if you have something and it's scary, that's not a dream visit. That's a, that's a dream or a nightmare. But when you well, know when it's real. So I just want to let people know uh, I also had dream experts on here about that. So if you go back to my archives, you can hear that, and I'm going to shut up now. So anyhow, Ron, what's your feeling on all that we're discussing? Oh, I love it. And I'm going to take the first part of mine and just thank Joan for for the kind words she said. And and she knows what I think about her. And I I hope we get together at another conference, Joan. I hope you come back up. So please do. Yes. If I had to, if I had to go back and think about uh, one of the major or some of the major changes that have happened to me since John is gone, is that I have uh, grown into somebody who lives with a healthier ego, and I have become much more compassionate than I was before. Um, 
you've got to understand that, that going through life as an alpha male, you know, a, a former Marine and then a former cop and a federal agent, I lived off of my ego. And I don't tell people those things to want them to feel better about me now. I tell people who I was because you have to realize that was, that was me living my life trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be, if that makes sense. Mm. I wanted to be the big, the big bad guy out there that, that was always out there to help other people and, and come to their rescue. And I lived off of an ego for so long. And, and you would think having a child born with half a heart would, would tamper that down just a bit. But, you know, after he, you know, his prognosis for a full life, I mean, life sort of went back to normal again. And I went back to living off of that unhealthy ego once again. I even... If you can fathom this, I even got to the point where I took pride in being the father of a child who survived what should have been his first day on earth dying. Um, And the whole reason why he was healthy was because I was such a good father and I was taking such good care of him. Um, Mm -hmm. That's what my life was at one point. And when I lost John and when he came back to me again, he made me realize, first and foremost, life is about unconditional love. And I, I started you. to realize that, that, you know, John was probably the first one, and I say this sort of half-jokingly and half-not, but he's, he's probably the only one at that time that I would have taken a bullet for, if that makes sense for you. I would have died for my son. I wished I could have changed places with him in that hospital bed so badly. But that wasn't Isn't that God's ironic? We all have sick children. I, I used to say, God, if I could give my kids – my daughter needed the double lung. She didn't have the liver involvement. But if I could have mm-hmm. given them my lungs, and my liver, my son, my lungs, and my liver, I would have done that. Like that same thing, yes. taking a bullet for Because that is and unconditional that is, love. It's a point, a major point. Unconditional love. And, mm-hmm. you know, to this day, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we don't lose them. John is, we talk about, um, you know, when we have visits and things like that. John is with me all the time. I, I joke quite yeah. a bit about the fact that one day God is going to hit me with a lightning bolt and say, would you stop talking to him and start talking to me again? <laughs> Because I, I can mm-hmm. be standing in the bathroom thinking about something, and I'll go, John, tell me what to do. Um, yeah. You know, and God is going, hey, you, you, you used to ask me those things. Can you come back and do it some more? But, yeah. you know, we touched on the unconditional love. And with, with John, I felt that. Even though he's gone and I still give him unconditional love, I wasn't putting it out like I was before. And something was missing in my life. It was it was sharing that unconditional love and the joy of loving people openly that I really missed. And part of right. what we do now, all of us, is that we go out and we meet and mix and, and get support and give support to other people who have been mm-hmm. through the same fire, and we all have that desire for unconditional love. So yes, if, if I've had any major changes, and once again, I have to call them the grief dips. We, I go back to being that obnoxious, snotty alpha male in a heartbeat if it meant mm-hmm. I could have John back, but... Yep. Because I can't, I'm going to take the grief gift, and I'm going to say yep. that, that I'm living life with a much healthier ego, and right. realizing that that now I get to live, I get to live life for what I believe in myself, and, and go back to my self worth and my God given self worth, and live for that versus what I think you think about me. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yes, it does. It's kind of like it's it's weird to say, but. I have found a peace and contentment. Um, of course, I miss them bodily here, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I write several poems. One of my books coming out is a, thousands of poems I've written. And, you know, the empty chair at the table. I miss the empty chairs, okay? 
I get so many signs from my kids. I guess I get so many because of the work I'm doing now, um, because I am an intuitive. And mm-hmm. I show proof with pictures, audio, video. I've had so many signs. But that's just that's not just for me. It's to show others it's real. Heaven is real. You know, we have yeah. these movies like Israel and Miracles from Heaven and, and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it's like... You know, but you, when you you know somebody like you, Ron, or or Joan, or myself personally, and they express mm-hmm. about Jonathan coming to you in the shower, or Marco coming to you the way he's come, or my marker may come in the way they've come, it's like E.F. Hutton walks in the room. Hopefully, they'll sit up and listen because they know you personally. Right. You know. So it's well, not it, like it, you know. It, Mount- it goes, it goes yeah. back to the TV antenna. You're, you're not going to be able to watch Channel Five News by tuning into Channel Nine. Um, you've got to be open to it. Um, there are so many signs that we get from our loved ones and we just don't pay attention. If we would just tune the channel in, we could, we could, we could get more. We could realize that they are still with us every day. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm the same way. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You know what? I just want to tell the listeners too. there's anywhere sometimes with a five to 10 second lag, just like, you know, any other correspondent on the news. So if we sound sometimes like we're talking over each other, we're not. So I just want to let people know that. So go ahead, Joan. Go ahead, talk. No, I was just going to say one more thing, too, as far as, you know, tagging on what Ron said, too, about, you know, talking to his son, John. And I talk to Marco a lot, too. And I know what you're saying, Ron, when God's like, all right, talk to me. Hey, I'm the guy in charge here, you know. But I talk yeah. to Marco all the time like he's here. Uh, constantly, and I look at his pictures, and and I and I really depend on him sometimes, you know, to kind of help me out or bring somebody to me to help me out or guide me or protect me or just something, mm-hmm. you know, to make it look like he's not here physically, but he's here spiritually, and he's never mm-hmm. going to leave because that is that is energy that doesn't ever ever die. But um, our, and people I, think I'm crazy. The, I'm yeah, not, well, that's think our... I'm crazy. They go, well, you know, he's not here. He's he's gone. He's dead. And you know, but I hate I, when people. Yeah, but don't you believe? I hate that too. But don't you people believe that they are not in the physical form anymore? They have transitioned into another room. It's like they opened up the door and they walked into this other room, and you know, it's a whole different light that we can't see yet. You know, mm-hmm. but um, they're there, and you have to yep. believe that it's gonna be real for us one day too and then we'll get all those answers and we'll understand so John, let me stop. anyway oh, the re- reality is that us before we all came here we go back to who we were we're just you know having the human experience bodily experience i don't quite get why or how or whatever the real us is our souls and there's a part in my own book i i, I call i say why do people go to a church right and they'll snip through and listen about God and heaven, and we're all going to go there. But then when it happens to something like this happens to us and we get signs, I'm going to take you off speaker. When we get signs that we're crazy, that that can't be possible. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not telling you anything different than a preacher's telling you. Right, right or wrong, yeah. if you think about it. You right. know, it's insane. Right. It, you know, it's kind of like I, I try to hit them between the eyes. The other thing I want to bring up, too, well, you both were – you lost your, your only children, which my heart breaks for you. But there's, I have two living children. They have other health issues, but they don't have cystic fibrosis. 
And um, people of like the, the cliches people will say it's like, well, you got your other children. And it's like, so I turn to them and I'm like, well, which one of yours would you trade in? You know, right. I mean, it, it, each one is an individual. Each one is an individual. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I don't know. We got a lot of uh, static here all of a sudden. I don't know what's going on. Is that Joan or you? I don't know. Let me put. I'm gonna mute mine. Well, it's quit now. I think. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So it's like you know, like I said, I I couldn't even uh, bear the thought of being my only child. Going, I I just my heart breaks for both of you. You know. But I try to stress well, the you. fact too that that you know not taking away from anybody that each child is an individual. They're they're all different, mm-hmm. you know. And yep. um, one of my first shows, it's I put on was what what to say and what not to say to a grieving parent. And the subject that Joan brought up, it's like, well, let him go. He's gone. He's dead. It's like, don't say that to us. You know, the best thing you can say, I'm sorry. We don't want to hear mm-hmm. they're in a better place. We know that. We want to hear it's God. God wanted them there. We we know all this. It's like mm-hmm. you know, turn the record over. So many things that are said, I find personally, and, and other grieving parents, and I'm sure you both agree with me, it becomes annoying after a while. And it's like, you know what, unless you've been there, don't say anything. Just say I'm sorry or be there. Have you two found well, that? Me, um, okay, go ahead. Cause there, was, there was a question. Me, was, uh, go ahead. Let me let me interject with something real quick because I do do workshops on this. It's workshops on the stupid things that people say. Um, well, I'll thank I you. <laughs> a, 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 well, I do them in a different way. We talk about how stupid they are. We really do. But I stress the fact that we are born to a society where if you're in pain, I'm I'm dutifully bound to come up and comfort you in some way. And unfortunately, sometimes comfort means words. And unfortunately, a lot of times they're not trained in what to say. Um, I try to tell people, and I'll keep this short, I try to tell people that even the stupid things that they say are not meant out of malice. It's because they haven't been through a loss. And and they're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable with mortality. And a lot of times when they they look at us, especially we that have lost children, they they look at us and they think, oh, my God, there but for the grace of God go I. So they're instantly uncomfortable, number one, but their instincts tell them to go up and comfort you and unfortunately, mm-hmm. they don't realize the best thing they can do is shut up and hug me. They, they, they've been taught you. that they need to say something. <laughs> exactly. They've been taught they need to say something. And I will give you the worst one that I've heard. And this was honestly told to me, and you will gasp when I say it. But someone approached mm-hmm. me and said, well, at least you don't have to worry about college tuition. Oh, my God. Now, that's somebody you oh, want to punch in the forehead. But you have to realize it really it wasn't said out of malice. It was said out of pure I don't know what to say. They're they're trying, they're trying to find something <laughs> to say. It, it is. Well I find too uh, I, I you know it, it, with, with with my well and, and Joan will tell you with cystic fibrosis, I I was warned it could happen again. Um I got pregnant. I wasn't gonna terminate, okay? I had uh Two children when my daughter was diagnosed, one had it, one didn't. I had two afterwards, another one didn't, and the fourth one did. So I got the the comments uh, like, um, well, you know what, I can't really feel sorry for you. Uh, Well, first of all, we don't want your pity, okay, number one. Number two, you knew it could happen again. What the hell kind of thing is that to say to anybody? You know what, and Mm. you know what, and I said to him, um, are you going to live forever? Every life to me, according, this is how I feel, every life has purpose, okay? 
Every mm-hmm. life has purpose. And I wasn't the one to judge. I, I did everything at that point in my life. I, I wasn't planning on more kids. It happened, okay? And when it happened, right. I took what God gave me. And um, and I wouldn't have traded a day of those 22 years. Mark, he lit the room. You know what I'm saying? Meg lit the room. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, you know, like I said, and people are uncomfortable with, with their own mortality. None of us get out of right. here alive, face it. You know what I'm saying? And, of mm-hmm. course, losing, and none of us are supposed to lose our kids before us. So, um, and that's the way I lived. I, I can remember being pregnant with Meg, my first one, and thinking, oh, my God, it, you know, the love I felt carrying her and having her and thinking, oh, I could never lose a child. Oh, my God. And when it happened, I had a flashback to when I was pregnant. And I'm like, and when it happened, I was like, oh, my God. We never think this is going to happen to any of us, you know? No. But when it does, it does uh, change your perspective on life and the way you look at things, you know? So go ahead. I'll continue on. Yep, yep. John, what do you I feel think about was done. that? <laughs> huh? Well, I was just going to interject one thing, and then I'm going to be quiet because this is really for Ron, his show, and his showcasing his experiences and his talents. But I want to say that if there's any men on this line listening, I really suggest that you get a copy of his book, Sometimes I Cry in the Shower, and his other stories, too, and read them. And the ladies, too, because you might be able to share them with some of the men folk in your life as well. And I could attest, mm-hmm. you know, he's a good friend and a good man, and he really means from his heart all the things that he says. And if you get a chance to see him live and in person, go do it. So, um, And, Ron, hopefully one day, like I said, I can um, meet up with you guys again and, and go to a grief support group and, and a conference and a, and a convention and all that. But um, I've been bad this year. I've been spending money that the Treasury hasn't made yet, so I'm trying to make up for it and pay my bills first before <laughs> I do any traveling. Ron and I discussed well, a little bit the other day. I've been, I've been trying for a few years now to get something here in Westchester County in New York. Um, uh, so Ron and I are going to talk about that. We did discuss it a little bit the other day. I'd love to get mm-hmm. a grief seminar here and get a few mm-hmm. of the people uh, that I've had on my show. I've had Mark Ireland, who lost his friend, uh, friend his son Brandon, also has a book. Uh, his father was uh, well-known, Richard Ireland, on Steve Allen's show years ago. He was like a uh, psychic guy back in the 60s, and I used to watch this guy. I, I wouldn't go to a school dance because this guy's on my friends. Like, I didn't understand why I was so obsessed with this guy because I had the gift, obviously. And then here I was 40-some years later interviewing his son on my show. You know, mm. so um, it's just amazing. Uh, some of these people that I've met through the the program uh, that have written books, that have lost their children, that are contributing so much to the world we live in, the here and now. You know, to to learn about where we go. You know, and it, it's just it's just amazing. And I think the bottom line of everything is that going through what we've been through, and by the signs, and by what we go through. That we're, we are teaching others that, you know, life goes on. This is just uh, a temporary situation here, you know, and I think that's important. And we are kind of like preachers in our own way without preaching, you know. So I think it's kind of a good thing, you know, that uh, like you talked, Ron, about unconditional love, and that's what life, life and death is all about. It's unconditional love, you know. It is. Uh, that's our purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you, yeah. when you think that you've lost your outlet for, for giving it, you find another way to give it. Um, 
Exactly. There are so many exactly. people that once you go out and meet them, you realize there's so many people out there with a different take on life, and, and that different take now becomes, what am I going to do with this love? Well, I'm going to give it exactly. away. I'm going to find a way to, to give this love away. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Joan, um, you know, I, we got time, Joan. We got over an hour left, so we, I don't mind you being on, okay? So don't mm. feel like you're taking up anybody's time. We're going to discuss some of Ron's books next. I, ahead, I can take an hour telling her. I can take an hour telling her thank you for all the kind words she said about me. So she <laughs> <up and saying, laughs> yeah. um, Joan, so how did um, how did you how did how did Marco get diagnosed? Uh, how old was he, and what was the story behind Marco? Okay, what happened was after he was born, I took him to the doctor, and I took him to this pediatrician who probably didn't know, you know, even how to spell the word, let alone treat a child. He said that he just. He said that he had a prognosis called failure to thrive, and he suggested that I go to Shan's Hospital up in Gainesville and get Marco tested. Well, at that time, in 1981, they weren't as sophisticated as they are today with determining a lot of information on CF. There was a wonderful Mm -hmm. doctor up there who did the testing, and he did determine that Marco had a mild case of cystic fibrosis, if you want to say that. And he did tell Mm -hmm. me, based on the numbers and all that, that he would lead a very healthy life as long as I stayed on top of it, which I did. I mean, pretty much, I pretty, and I don't want to use the words like this to make it look like I was that person, but I rob, steal, kill, and cheat, you know, to keep my son alive type of thing. I would do anything to keep him alive and well. And I did. And over the course of every five years, he seemed to have, you know, go into the hospital and get the tune-ups and all that. And then it went into Mm. like every three years and then every two years. And then as he got older and a lot older, it went into every year. And then finally it just got where he passed from. Every week. He contracted MRSA and sepsis and the whole nine yards. And um, I wanted to, as a a last-ditch effort, really tried to donate some of his eyes or his parts to maybe someone else, but he had it so badly, the sepsis Mm -hmm. and MRSA, that they didn't want to take anything. And it really made me upset because I thought just for him to, the gift that he could give maybe another person that could use that, you know, use the organs and donating that. Anyway. And he was 32, you said, right, when he passed? So, yes, yes, he was 32. And, um, you know, but um, he he lived a pretty, you know, for Marco, I believe Marco was an old soul because, you know, for 32, he was very wise for his years. And, and, and Ron, I want to share something with you, too. My dad was in the Marine Corps, and he was in World War II, and he saw the action in the Pacific. And Marco wanted to join the military. And he, at eight years old, I bought him a BB gun, and I wanted him to be a boy, you know. And my mom was like, oh, you – anyway, I said, well, what am I supposed to do? I was a single mom at the time. What am I supposed to do, take him shopping and and have tea parties? I wanted him to experience all of these things. And he went into high school, and he joined in high school the junior ROTC program that was with the Marines. And on paper, Ron, aced the test. Uh He did everything on paper that they wanted to snag him, sight unseen. He could have been another Chris Kyle because of the sharpshooting skills that he and all the awards he got. And right. they didn't take him because of the CF. And my dad mm-hmm. really was heartbroken. And my dad told him, listen, you do not have to go into the Marine Corps. 
to prove yourself a good man and a good person. You are already right. are. And he said, it's just that, you know, you could have these other things that God will give you, and you could go in life and, and prove otherwise. You know, you don't have to go and be a Marine. But he wanted to make Grandpa happy, you know, and all that. But um, mm-hmm. he did, he he used substitutes and he he had other alternatives. He went to chef school. He was a a chef. He went to the university of Colorado, um, and became a chef. And, um, he was an author. He was, uh, he was an aspiring author. In fact, he did get uh, published in some of these gaming magazines at one time. And, um, he, he, he loved to travel such as name Marco, Marco Polo. He loved to travel and anybody, you know, anybody he met, they, 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 they took to him, you know, because like you were talking earlier about how our kids were just so loving and unconditional love and people gravitated toward them because they were good people and they're mm-hmm. so smart. And did. this is what I have found. Why is it that our children that had some kind of a debilitating disease or something that they are the smartest, well-gifted, loving people mm-hmm. in the world and then you got all these rotten eggs running around, you know, that yep. don't contribute yep. diddly squat. And then our kids have to be taken, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay. But um, in any event, he was very well-read. In fact, he would correct me on my grammar sometimes when I was writing mm-hmm. things, you know, letters. Right. And, and, and he, he was just a good, a good boy. He really was. He was a good kid. And, um, yeah. you know, and, of course, eight months later, after I lost my son, I lost my dad. And then 12 mm-hmm. years prior... Um, I, it was a second marriage. I had lost my husband. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, boom, it's like, boom, boom, boom here. You know, what do you do? Yeah. But, oh, um, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course we've lost grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and, and, and yeah. just loss in general. And, and because I'm such a sensitive person, you know, I don't watch the news anymore because I'm afraid to, you know, yeah. I, uh, I I can't watch that anymore. I used to be a big fan of Blue Bloods and Criminal Minds and all those shows. I can't no, watch. No, I, I feel anymore. the same way. I <laughs> I'm sitting here yesterday and we had two earth. I I live down the street from West Point. Everybody knows West Point in New York. Yeah. I live in the same oh, town, definitely. a couple miles down the road. We I woke up yesterday at six. I, well, I was up earlier because my my sleep. Because I also have a chronic illness, multiple sclerosis. Okay, I've had it since I was nine. Mixed diagnosed until I was fifty. Finally got the diagnosis. Okay, but um, so my sleep patterns are screwed up. You know, but I got up. Uh, I went to sleep early that night. I got up and I hear. And we were supposed to get like eight inches of snow. Real freak snowstorm. So I hear boom, and I'm like, okay, uh, it's one of the plows. You know. I'm thinking this, that, and the other thing. So I decided to turn on the weather channel, uh, the local news, and it said we had an earthquake. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> now, I moved from – I had a – prior a year ago where I Hurricane Sandy, I had a beach house on uh, the Hudson River, uh, beach home. So we had our own beach. I lived very close to the river, you know, seriously. I mean, very close, and three feet of water came in my house that night with the, the storm. So I'm thinking – when I move, I, I, I buy this great house that I love, and that was I was very blessed to get this because uh, there was a lot of circumstances that were against me. And I'm in the mountain now. I'm in a place called Bear Mountain, which is in West Point. I'm on the mountaintop. <laughs> okay, so no more. Don't worry about the hurricanes. Now I get hit with earthquakes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, and then I see today we had two of them here. We had two yesterday. So I, my other son, I have a son in North Carolina, a son, another son that lives home. And I said to my son, did you hear that noise earlier? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, what the heck was that? I said, an earthquake. He goes, what? (laughs) We're still suffering post-traumatic stress from this, you know, from the hurricane. It was, I mean, I was calling 911 that night, and they said, lady, it's too late, you know. And I had lost contact. They got me out first, uh, my friend, and then lost contact with my friend and my son for over an hour. Didn't know if they were dead or alive. It was was a total nightmare, you know. And um, so we're still suffering from this, and it was a year after, and that year my son died. My other two boys lost their father, their grandfather, and their brother all within nine months. So my other boys lost three generations in nine months. And in three months to the day of my son, we lost my sister-in-law 44 years. So I've lost brother, sister-in-law, brother, sister. I'm like, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's like, and you know, when I post on Facebook and I keep their memories alive, people must think that I just wallow in, in, in grief. But my God, I mean, I keep their memories alive. <laughs> I mean, yes. that's, that's what we need to do. I mean, because they were real living, breathing human beings and part of us, you know. And if people mm-hmm. have a problem with it, get the hell off my page, Facebook page. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyhow, to make a long story short, you know, it's like you never ever know in life what's going to happen. So expect the unexpected, you know. And uh, And treat every day special. Yeah, you know what? Every day is a gift. Unwrap it. Unwrap it. It's a present. Okay. Every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. And that's made me realize, even with the MS, I'm in pain. I can hardly walk anymore. But you know what? I keep going. I keep going. Keep going. Do I can do this show sitting in my own house, okay? I can write my book sitting in my own house. I can help other grieving parents sitting in my own house. You know, so I, 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 this is my... My um, goal at this point, my uh, uh, my calling, you know, that's the way I look at it, mm. you know. I get condemned even for doing this. I've been condemned um, doing my show. I've been condemned for writing my book. I've been condemned for a lot. I'm like, why are you condemning me? I'm, I'm, I, have, I, I have purpose. This is purpose. And it's helping other people. Why are you condemning me? I've been called names. I've been mocked. It's insane. It's like, what is wrong with people? You know, I don't get it. I don't get it. So anyhow, Ron, so we're going to go back to Ron's books. Tell us about your books. Now, name all three. You've got three books out now, right? Well, I do have three books. The first one was, uh, was of course, one that uh, was inspired by John. They're all inspired by John, but the first one more so than anything else. It was Sometimes I Cry in the Shower, A Grieving Father's Mm -hmm. Journey to Wholeness and Healing. And that uh, I started that book out before John was born and, and talked about myself and then talked about the arrival of John, his medical condition, and then, of course, mm-hmm. his passing. And then it went into to my transition of, of me trying to find myself once again and, and realizing, right. number one, again, and, and I, I say this so often that, that I'm okay. Um, and I say that to a lot when I do workshops and keynotes is to let people, you're okay. Just you let them know you're okay. Um, right. The second book was was one that I am proud of, um, and I don't really talk a lot about it, and I don't know why, but I am so proud of the book, and I think God gave me uh, the entire concept, and I do mm-hmm. do workshops on it. But the second book is called The Grief Case, um, mm-hmm. like Grief Case, but I call it The Grief Case. And 
Right. I had gotten a call one day. I had an opportunity to travel. I was living in Memphis at the time. I lived out there because uh, I moved John out there because of La Bonner Children's Hospital. It's one of the most preeminent uh, cardiothoracic, pediatric cardiothoracic hospitals in the country. So I moved John mm-hmm. out there just to have him around that because they would care for him for the rest of his life, regardless of whether he right. was no longer a child. He would have cardiac mm-hmm. care for the rest of his life. So. I got a call from Trinity Broadcast Network to ask if I wanted to come on their show and talk about grief support. Um, wow. I said, no, I, absolutely, I want to come on your show. And they said, well, we're playing right. in Chattanooga, which was a five-hour drive for me. And I said, well, I'm a guy and I have an ego, so, of course, I want to drive to Chattanooga to be on TV. So that mm-hmm. meant a lot of time in the car. And Right. Well, so I get there, I do the interview, and it's much like you and, and, uh, and others that have been in this grief support business for a while. The interviewer, yeah. uh, very, very nice lady, I'm sorry I can't remember her name, but most of the questions were, what do you do about Tommy's grief? What do you do about Sally's grief? What do you do when so-and-so is grieving? What, what do we do with grief for this? Grief, 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 grief. And, and very tactfully, mm-hmm. I, I said to her, you know, I want you to know that, that grief is, is just a word. It's a container word that, that holds all the emotions inside that we feel. It, it holds the, the anger and the confusion and the guilt and the sorrow. You know, if you were to ask right. me how I felt after John died, I would not have told you I feel grief. I would have told you I feel angry. I feel confused. I feel hurt. I don't feel right. grief, but we use that word at nauseum. And I went on to explain right. more and more how... It's just a, a word that we use as a container word for all the emotions that we feel inside. So on that right. five-hour drive home, I, I got to thinking about, you know, as, as a visual thing, how can, I get that peop- how can I get that thought into people's mind that the word grief is just a container word? And I thought to myself. It's kind of ironic. That's that what the container. show was called tonight before I met you. Life, love is a four-letter word for grief. It's Very about love. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then I, yep. I started thinking about inside the container, you have all those separate emotions that are inside. And I started right. thinking about them as having their own little individual folders. And it just came to me that, that it's a lot like a grief case, that we're mm-hmm. going to carry around this grief case with us for the rest of our lives. It was handed to us most times by people that we don't even know. And once yeah. we have it, and you can't disagree with us, once we've been handed our grief case, we can never put it down. It's going to be exactly. with us for the rest of our time here on Earth. So now exactly. when you've been handed, when you've first been handed this grief case, it's extremely heavy and burdensome. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything. You can't get involved in social things because you're always tripping over this grief case. It's always attached exactly. to you. You have to carry yeah. it with you wherever you go. But in yep. order to lighten that load is you have to open up the grief case. And when you look inside, and I know I'm being lengthy with this, so forgive me, but when you look inside, just like in a briefcase, no case, inside of the grief case are all those manila folders, and each one contains a separate emotion. The problem is right. when you first get it, each one of those file folders is jumbled and out of order, and it's redundant. It's got more in there than it should, like false grief, or not false grief, but mm-hmm. false guilt and um, false mm-hmm. anger, a number of different things. So what you yep. have to do is you have to look at each one of those folders, and you have to realize what's true and what's not true. What is, what is false guilt? What is, what is the false anger, and how can I pull these out of here? And what are my redundant feelings? And doesn't this emotion belong in this file? And doesn't this feeling belong over there? 
And through time, as you process your grief case, even though mm-hmm. you still have to carry it around with you for the rest of your life, it becomes lighter. And not only does it become lighter, none of us can deny here between the three of us, there becomes a point where we want to set that grief case down and open it up for other people and say, look what I've got inside. This is my Jonathan. This is who he is. He's in my grief Ron, case. that is the most beautiful, beautiful way of explaining it. Thank you. Thank you. You just don't like me even more. When you get Thank it you. light enough, when you take out enough of that inside, there's room in there for you to throw in some flip-flops and a bottle of suntan lotion and go enjoy yeah. your life with peace and purpose again. And yeah. my second Amen. book is the, is the Grief Case, and that's what it's all about. It's a process of using these words that you and I use ad nauseum on purpose, and we're going to. Tomorrow we're going to say the word grief a hundred times. Mm-hmm. But yep. it's, it's realizing that grief itself is just a container. It is a grief case that holds the emotions inside, and we have to process those emotions to move forward. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, it does. So Beautiful. That, that was book number two. I love it. I it, love it. it. It's out there. It's on Amazon. It's yep. on my website. So, um, yep. Book number three is kind of um, – it's a nice book. It's, it's a rather large book, but it's called Grief Healings 365. And what I did was I realized that, that grief has been around, loss and death has been around since Adam and Eve came out of the Garden of Eden. So yeah. there are a number of poets, prophets, uh, the Bible, um, ritualistic prayers, cultural sayings that all date back to the dawn of time all the way up through modern times to include Abe Lincoln and a number of others that have all got some kind of quote, poem, uh, theatrical work that all dealt with grief and loss, but they all dealt with moving forward through mm-hmm. grief and loss. So what I did was and I, I think compiled that, 300, that's important. I compiled 365 of them, and I put them in a book for one for each day of the year so that when you mm-hmm. flip to, let's say you buy the book on May 31st, you don't go to January 1st, you flip open to May 31st, and the idea is it's your typical nightstand book. You wake up in the mm-hmm. morning and you look at, at that day's poem, prayer, or uh, words of encouragement, and you carry that with mm-hmm. you through the day. And at night, there's room down there to jot down your own thoughts. So you can say, okay, this, this brought me here today, or I thought just about this quote today. And then when you wake up wow. the next morning, you open up, you open up and look at June 1st. And then you live mm-hmm. June 1st thinking about whatever the quote, prayer, or promise was for that day. And then at the end of 365 days, you could start all over again. But you get to look back wow. and see where you were a year ago. Yep, yep. So that was book yep. number three. Now, book number four I'm the most excited about because um, I'm kind of – I'm staying where I am with the grief support, but I'm tackling – a new venture, and I've been on it for about mm-hmm. a year and a half now, and I'm really getting into it more and more now, but that is grief mm-hmm. in the workplace. Right. Businesses out there, um, and I thought at first that, that if I moved into a grief in the workplace kind of environment and I went to businesses and started preaching about their bereaved employees, I was no longer directly impacting the grievers. And then I thought mm-hmm. to myself, you know, and, and Joan will tell you this, when you go to some of these national gatherings, when you go to some of these regional gatherings and when you go to some of these chapter meetings that are all across the country, we're still only about maybe one one hundredth of a percent 
of everyone who's going through grief right now, right? Right. So if I get in there in the workplace and I start teaching their management on how to interact with the bereaved employees when they return to work, then actually I'm indirectly indirectly supporting more grievers than I am Mm -hmm. right now. On the flip wow. side of that is I've got, I've got the data that's compiled through uh, the Centers for Disease Control, the Department of Labor, uh, and a number of different agencies out there that show that, that businesses across America each year are losing, get this, they're losing over $100 billion in annual revenue. That's $100 billion each year in revenue in business. So what I do is I get into the businesses, and I'm not there for the griever, I'm there for the manager, I'm there for the executive, I'm there for the business owner, and I'm teaching them how to interact with the bereaved employee when they return to work. Wow, that's awesome. Because awesome. I'll, give you one, I'll give you one story, and this will kind of set your head straight on what I'm talking about, but I've got a very good friend, and I can't tell you what company he works for, but he is an airplane mm-hmm. mechanic, and I met him through a grief support group, and during that session, after the session, when I was talking about returning to work after grief, because that's a, that's a couple of different chapters in two of my books, is returning to work after the loss. He brought right. me aside, and he said, Ronnie, I want to tell you something. It's been 10 years since I lost my son. But mm-hmm. about three weeks ago, I was down in what he called the pit. He's an airplane mechanic mm-hmm. uh, working on big right. 737s, right? He right. said, I was down in the pit and I'm working on the front brakes of a 737. And he goes, when I was done putting everything back together, I realized that the only thing I had done down in that pit for two hours was think about my son. And he goes, when I crawled out of there, he goes, I stopped. And he goes, I had to ask myself, did I do the repairs that I went down there to do? Because I don't remember any of it because my son was on my mind the whole time. And wow. fortunately, he had, to, he had the, the, the fortitude to get back down there and check his work. But right. that brings it home to realize that, that grief in the workplace can also be dangerous. Yeah. Wow, so that's, that's awesome. That's, there's a fourth book now coming out called Grief in the Workplace, which is mitigating the loss to a business. And mm-hmm. it is focused towards the business's wallet and not so much towards compassion because you have to agree, I don't think I'm going to get to these businesses by being compassionate. I have to hit them in the wallet. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. But it's, it's a big loss. It's $100, million, $100 billion each year in revenue for American companies. Wow. Wow. So those are my You know, Ron, you, you are just going, I, I have to thank you, Joan, because – Ron has enlightened me about things I never even thought about. I mean, maybe oh, fleeting thoughts, but no. And I'm going to tell you, I, I hit it straight from the heart. I, I don't say things I don't mean. I mean what I say, you know. But you've enlightened me in about mind. things. No, I'm <laughs> serious. We we joked a little bit. We talked, you know. I said, you know, people think I'm crazy doing this. He goes, well, you probably are. I said, yes, I am too. <laughs> you know what? We have like to – um, we, thank you. No, but we have to keep uh, – we can't lose ourselves, uh, and, and especially in the beginning we do. I, I, I've i spoken on other shows about um, – from my daughter and son were 16 years apart. She was the oldest, the only daughter, and my youngest son that passed, okay? So she, they were 16 years apart. And 
at diagnosed at three, but she had been sick from birth, and I had 38 years between her birth and his death of eating, sleeping, digesting cystic fibrosis. That's all I knew. Okay, everything else, everything around it was, I functioned, but it, my priorities and Joan will tell you it's a lot of work with CF. You know, it's and nebulizations mm-hmm. and not just albuterol, it's tobramycin and pomazime, and so it's a few nebul- nebulized treatments. Uh, at the end, my son, I he couldn't eat for the last year, so I was feeding him through a port uh, with um, TPN. There were feeding tubes. There was a uh, hundred pills a day, every day. So that was my routine. Well, I could not imagine. Okay? And, oh, my gosh. Well, when my, my daughter died, um, of course, I, I grieved badly. But then I had to keep going on for him and my other kids, okay? And then when he died, everybody went home after the funeral. And I'll never forget, mm-hmm. it was Super Bowl Sunday uh, that year, or the day after his funeral. Everybody went home. Right. Um, my oldest son was in from um, Carolina. He went home Super Bowl night, and I got up the next day. And it's, as crazy as it sounds, I got up, and um, I had a, a, a guy friend, you know, a boyfriend at that point, and um, I got up, and I'm washing his equipment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he looks at me and goes, what are you doing? I said, oh, what I do every day. I, I was like, like yeah. I totally, like I didn't go crazy, but it was my routine. I'm washing mm-hmm. the nebulization cups, getting the pills ready. And he goes, Peg, what are you doing? And I'm like... I don't know how to do it any differently. It was like right. it was just mm-hmm. part of my life. So I had mm-hmm. to learn a whole new way of living, okay? And yeah. like I say before, everybody goes home after the funeral and goes back to the lives. Then we go back to our reality. The visits become yep. less. Um, the uh, uh, phone calls, no more phone calls. Everybody's going to be, be there, but nobody's there. I can't tell you. I was like Miss Popular. I was, I was the, 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 you walk into the bar and, and a joke. You know what I'm saying? I always joked. Mm-hmm. I always had the, the, the good personality. You know, life of the party, they called me. You know, life of the party peg. And then all of a sudden, I didn't know who I was. Everything stopped. Oh, yeah, I know. And I had to learn to live differently, and I didn't know how to do it. I I really did. I had to regroup. I had to find out who the hell I was. I I didn't know who I was anymore. I had no idea. No idea. And it wasn't just the loss. It was the routine of 38 years. I had my daughter um, six days before I was 20, okay? Mm-hmm. I got married. We got married ten months before I had her. Uh, she came unexpectedly, and then um, I was fifty. What you figure? Mark's been going just seven, fifty-seven years old. So from nineteen to fifty-seven, almost twenty. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. Yeah. So I had to learn to not only live without my children, uh, two of my four children, but I had to learn to live differently. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I, I didn't know how to do it. I just did not know how to do it. But it took a long time, and and by the grace of God, He gave me His blueprint, the plan He had for me by doing the show, writing the books, uh, and what have you. Um, I'm going to stop for a second. We actually have a caller that wants to talk to us, so I'm going to bring them on. Okay. Very good. Good. Okay, Hi. hold on one second. It's area code nine one nine. Uh, I'm going to just ask your first name and where you're from. Okay, hold on a second. The show is worldwide, by the way. Hold on. Hold on. Hello, Hi. caller. Hi. Hi. What's your first name, please? My first name's Rebecca. 
Hi, Rebecca. Where are you from, Rebecca? I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, hi. My son's in uh, Gastonia. How far are you oh, from Gastonia? Great. Um, I think it's not an hour or two, maybe, two. Oh, okay. Um, how would you like to contribute to the show tonight? Um, oh, I just um, came home and actually um, from a funeral. Lately, oh, it gosh, seems like I've been um, going to too many funerals of young ones. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's always tragedy. Um Right. That brought it around, and then I was just going to relax and listen to shows, and I saw yours and decided to um, call in. Okay. Have you lost uh, someone young yourself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, Rebecca, tonight we're doing the show. I usually do readings and stuff uh, because I've also, um, the mother uh, lost two children. I'm intuitive. Um, I have my special guest on tonight, uh, Ron Kelly, um, and he's an author of three books and a keynote speaker for grief. Okay, lost his only son, Jonathan, and Joan is on with us tonight from Florida. She's lost her son, Marco, to the same disease my two children died of cystic fibrosis. Um, Not planning on readings, but Ron and um, (laughs) Joan, Joan knows how it goes with me, okay? Right? Yeah. Okay. Are, Joe, are you're you, still are with you, us, right? Are you asking, are you asking me to be flexible? <laughs> yes, please. We we still got over uh, 40 – we've got 40 minutes left. Um, when I get a message, are you looking just to hear the show, contribute to the show, or for a reading? <laughs> um, of all of the above. <laughs> Good. Okay, I just thought okay. it just, like, hit, hit, hit a chord with me because of what I just, you know – um, went through how my evening right, right. went. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, like I said, I don't ask for it, and I wasn't planning on doing it, but when it calls, it calls. Um, okay. I'm getting um, – Ron, I hope you don't mind listening. <laughs> I don't, I'm getting I don't somebody with an L. Okay. Yeah, Liz. Mm-hmm. L, L name. Oh, L name. Oh, oh, Who's well, an L name? And tonight, well, the funeral I went to was um, Lewis. Lewis, so I'm getting the L name. Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay, yeah. I got that. Okay, I don't always know the exact name. Um, my son was a race car driver. I see something with cars with Lewis. Uh, was Lewis a race car driver, or was he into sports cars? Cars. He likes cars. Mm-hmm. He likes cars. Okay. Yeah. I'm specifically seeing a red car with him. Uh, does that does that mean anything to you? I'm not sure what his what his car was. Um, what he's driving. Okay, right um, get a pencil mm-hmm. and paper because if it doesn't resonate now, it may at some point. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, okay. What am I getting from? Um, what was his age? Was he? In, I'm seeing 28. For was, is that a birth date or his age or what? What does 28 mean? What's significance? <sighs> I can't think of his birth date. Okay. Um, right now. How old was How old was Lewis? 22. Oh, 22, that's my numbers. That's my angel numbers. If you listen to my show, my son died at 22 on 22, and that's always been angel numbers for me. Yeah. Okay, I'm seeing 28th. Um, my oldest son, who is alive in North Carolina, his birthday is February 28th. Um, what? I'm seeing a connection with February 28th. Uh, do you have an anniversary or uh, in your life, anniversary, something that went on February 28th? 
not that I can, that comes to me right now. Okay, write it down. Write it down because uh, you, uh, I do like Oprah aha moments. Not that I'm into her, but uh, we have aha moments at times because I I don't read myself. I go to I exchange with other mediums, medium and intuitives, and that's happened to me. It's like no, 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 and then. Of course, I record our sessions, and it's like sometimes a year later, it's like, oh, my God, now I know what they're talking yeah. about. But I'm feeling something like February 28th, so write it down, okay? Was he um, was he killed in a car accident? No. Was there some kind of accident or something? something it wasn't like a sickness, was it? It wasn't. Pardon? Was it a uh, um, um, untimely death? Not like you, it was you yeah. weren't prepared mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, and at some type of an accident. Uh, maybe something happened, and everybody's questioning what really happened to him. Um, it was an overdose in this area. There's a lot of fentanyl now. Um, okay, going on. All right, I've also lost lot of uh, two two nephews to overdose, so I, I I've yeah. been there too. Okay, okay. Um, Hmm. I'm seeing a road. Okay, bear with me, Ron and and Joan. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, please, I no, see no. a road called Union Avenue or Union Street. Does that mean anything to you? Um, not not that I can think of. Ron, Ron, I'm you know what? When I do reading sometimes, when I have other people on the show, does that mean anything for mm-hmm. you, Ron or or Joan? Union Avenue or Union Street? No, 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 no. Okay. So you think okay. we're just bear with me. We're interfering with you? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not interfering. It's sometimes the the energy just goes to anybody that's here. Sometimes in the chat room or whatever. Okay, but I'm seeing uh, Union Avenue or Union Street. So write it down. You know. Okay. You know, everybody's saying, "Oh, well, she guessed." No, no. This, I'm seeing that specifically. I'm seeing a. Um, I'm seeing a park with a flag with a memorial. Is that close to where you are? With like, uh, like it's not even um, it's kind of like a veteran's headstone uh park with a flag. Is that anywhere near you? Um, yeah, there's one that comes to mind. Okay, how close? Within a mile or so? Um, not that close, but you know, just a short, probably ten minute okay. drive at twelve. Okay. Okay. Well, it's close to you. Okay. I'm, I'm seeing that. Yeah. Okay. Um, real quickly, like I said, I wasn't going to really do readings tonight, but I'm, I'm seeing all this. Um, are there suspicions about uh, his death? That if he really OD'd or if somebody else was involved with it? Um, well, I know that it's a long story, but there is someone who is intentionally a drug dealer in the area putting um, – fentanyl in the dr- drugs and so they are okay why am i getting the name russell dealer. russell who is russell who is russell somebody um, living or dead i don't i don't know offhand okay write it down all right i don't know why you know i just get what they give me so all right um thank you okay one more thing um i'm also seeing a dog a french poodle uh who who's that belong to a French poodle. I want to say mm-hmm. they had a dog. Okay. Because I just saw a picture. Okay. I want to say I saw 
I'm not just seeing a dog. I'm seeing a French poodle. A French poodle. French poodle. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's about all I got. Um, You know, our loved ones are around us. Um, um, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, I'm only as good as what they give me. And anything that I've given you, um, like I said, write it down because, it, like I said, it may not mean anything right now, but it, it will come to, usually comes to light, you know, and then you're yep. like, you have the yeah. uh, moment. Mm-hmm. So. Anything you'd like to ask any of my guests? Uh, have you just, did you, you just tuned in now or? Yeah, I'm um, tuned in and um, um, just like to listen. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Is there any questions? Um, Ron is, um, like I said, a grieving dad. He lost his only son, and he's an author, a uh, keynote speaker for grief. Uh, is there anything you'd like to ask Ron? Um, no questions now. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, well, I'll put you back on hold then. You can listen to the show, and at the end, they're all archived, all my shows, so you can go back anytime to hear it, okay? And I'm so Thank sorry you. for your loss. Okay, Thank hold you. on, please. Okay, hold on. Sorry, guys. It just happens. <laughs> you don't have to apologize to us. I, it's, oh, okay. No, I just like I said, I I wasn't even, and I, I initially, like I said, you did the show started four years ago, not even to do this, but it just happens. And you know, when somebody comes on <laughs> like that, and I start getting things, I have to give it to them. So then they, sometimes they claw back a week or two later. It's like, oh my gosh, I have a real quick funny story. I had this one woman on one night, lost a daughter. Not the funny part, of course. And I kept saying this name over and over, and she's going, no, 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 no. And then after the show, she finds me on Facebook, and she messaged me that the name I was saying was a guy she had been having an affair with for five years. (laughs) (laughs) She goes, I didn't want to say it on the show, and I'm like, Okay, <laughs> TMI, you know what I'm saying? But I kept her daughter kept a... giving me this name. You know, it was it was it was kind of funny how they do it, and they are comical on the other side because you know what? They'll come through um, uh, when I get messages like this. They'll come through with the personality they had here because they take they they're still them. They take that over there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they'll come yep. through. You know, I I used to have the position when I was younger of. You know, up there looking like a chair room floating on a cloud playing a harp. It, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no. They're the same here, there as they are here, pretty much. So, but anyhow, mm-hmm. let's go back to the show again. <laughs> and if anybody wants to talk, just hit the number one to be in the queue. Okay. So go ahead, Ron. Continue. Um, let's. Uh, we talked about your books. Uh, give everybody. Uh, we have about a half an hour left. Give everybody. We know they're on Amazon. Give everybody the specific names of the books, please. Oh, sure. Uh, the first book, again, is Sometimes I Cry in the Shower, A Grieving Father's mm-hmm. Journey to Wholeness and Healing. Uh, that's my okay. award winner. Um, that's the one that really got me out and, and, you know, got people to call me and say, hey, come speak here, come speak there, because I, I did lay it out. I did talk about how men are different from women, and that started right. me on um, a wonderful journey now where, I, you know, I, I get the chance to get in front of people and talk to both men and women, and Joan will tell you, mm-hmm. a lot of times, uh, a lot of these grief conferences that, that I get invited to are, unfortunately, where someone has lost a child. And you get in front of mm-hmm. husbands and wives, and, and you get to realize that the husband is going to tell you, yeah, I'm just here to support her. But then you right. get them alone, and you, you talk with them after a while and realize that they, they really want to tell somebody that they're hurting, too. They just don't want right. to tell anybody. Um, exactly. This wonderful life 
I tell people about coming to an understanding and, and doing a great deal of, and I told you the other day on the phone that I don't do research. I call it searching. Somebody else has already mm-hmm. searched for it, so I can't, I can't do that. I just go out there and I study people and I study the mm-hmm. emotions inside more than anything else and how we're different men and women-wise. And I've done a lot of studies on, you know, where we came from, what's in our DNA, and, and what is nature and nurture and how it impacts us now. And it, right. it leads to being able to stand in front of a husband and wife who are going to tell me the first thing that they hear after losing a child is there's a good chance that they're going to get a divorce. And I get to right. shoot that right I get to shoot that right in the leg and tell them that is the biggest myth out there. And I give exactly. them stats and I give them all kinds of reasons why they will not end up in a divorce unless they had some underlying condition that happened before the loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a wonderful time. But Again, the, the second book is The Grief Case. Uh, that's one mm-hmm. that I've spoken linked about that I, I really, really like the concept behind that, and I'm glad you do too. It's a wonderful book. It's been out for about a year. Yeah. And it's doing well. And then third mm-hmm. book, again, is Grief Healings 365. So it's 365, basically, poems, prayers, promises, I call it. Uh, it's meant to be a, a nightstand book that you pick up every day and read today's uh, quote message. Carry that with you throughout right. the day. Yeah, message. Inspirational. Yeah. What can you give yeah. us a sneak preview of the fourth book or not? Yeah, sure. And, and again, I, I alluded to it before. The fourth book is unfortunately not as compassionate because it is targeted towards the the business owner or the organizational owner, uh, someone who's right, in charge right. of companies or even down to frontline management and supervisors. It's called grief mm-hmm. in the workplace, mitigate, mitigating the loss in business through grief and bereavement. And it all deals with how, basically it's the care and feeding of the bereaved once they return to work. Uh, We all know this. And, you know, the the, Mm -hmm. the average around the country right now is is three days of paid bereavement leave. And I let the employers know I'm not there to advocate that they, they, you know, change any of their policies. That's not it. Because you can give somebody as much time off as you can afford and let's face mm-hmm. it, businesses are in business to, to make money. To make that's money. there is to make yeah. a profit. Um, and I was yeah. on both sides of the fence, and that's why I'm an authority on this. I was a business leader when I lost John. I was an executive in a large business. And mm-hmm. I went back to work. And, and let me back up just a second because this is a story that I also tell when I'm up at the podium. But I was a business mm-hmm. leader when I lost John. Before right. I lost John, my day as a director in a large company consisted of me getting a cup of coffee, sitting down at my desk, and then one by one, my 20 managers would eventually walk by my door just to say good morning. But in doing mm-hmm. so, they would always tell me what their plans were for the day. And in right. those plans, sometimes I would go, hey, that's a great idea. And sometimes I would go, well, let's talk about this and maybe do that. And right. it might not be the best business model in everybody's mind, but in my mind, mm-hmm. I didn't have to chase down my managers to find out what they were doing. They voluntarily came by my door every morning to say good morning and tell me what they were doing. Well, mm-hmm. guess what they didn't do anymore once I came back to work when I lost John? Not What didn't the, they do the, the, the visions didn't um, cease and desist. Right? They didn't come by my door. They, they yeah. did not yeah. come by That's my door fear. anymore. That's the fear. That's the fear. And then unfortunately, um, because they didn't know how to, what to say or what to do. Right, right. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what just, to say. Just like I explained to people. 
Exactly, and that's just why I, 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 like I said before, I was the life of the party at one point, the karaoke queen. I had a good time, always had the sense of humor, and then I lost Mark, my my second child. The phone call stopped. The friends stopped visiting. I became somewhat of a hermit. Somewhat of a hermit. And as I said, it it might not have been everybody's business model, but it worked well for me in a successful mm -hmm. company, and I knew what my managers were doing every day without calling an all-hands meeting. Now, how do you think that impacted productivity immediately uh, immediately after John's loss? There was a whole different way we had to do business. And we exactly. adjusted, we adapted, but it took a while. But that that mm-hmm. took a hit on revenue. And that's exactly. one case, uh, much like the, the case I told you about the airplane mechanic, these are just, just small cases out there that opens people's eyes to go, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And not to get off the subject, but it's not just grief from loss either. It, it could be somebody returning to work after, say, an unwanted divorce or a major change in their, their medical status or Mm-hmm. You know, now they're suddenly an empty nester because all the kids have gone out of the house and they are grieving. Right. Right. And their mind is, is their mind is no longer at work. Now, again, yeah. my, my major cause is to go after the bereaved in the workplace. But in order to do that, I've got to spread it open a little wider and go, we're not just talking about people that lost somebody. Because let's mm-hmm. face it, if you work in a company of a, let's say you work in a business where you've got 100 employees, how often does one of your employees die? Not very right. often. You, know, right. you don't lose a lot of employees to death, but then I have to tell them, look, you might just have 100 employees, but the average employee at home has got three to four dependents, a mother and father, siblings. Mm-hmm. So for right. each one employee that you've got, and, and God bless it, nobody wants to lose an employee, but this isn't mm-hmm. about that because companies, companies will adapt if they lose an employee. But right. when an employee loses somebody at home, they're coming back to work, and their influence, once they come back to work, ripples all mm-hmm. the way across the business. Exactly. The domino sense. effect. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, no, that's, it's true. that's and I, great thing I about. love the fact that you're touching on these subjects I've never heard, and I have to give you kudos on this one. I've never heard anybody touch on these subjects, and it's that definitely your you're, you're calling. Awesome. I well, it. again, I you – you, you know I have that compassionate side, and John told me to go out and serve. And the biggest yep. thing was I was concerned with myself. I had to sit down and, and talk to myself and going, now you're talking about doing something other than standing in front of a 1,000 people talking about their loss. That was mm-hmm. what you wanted to do. Now you want to go into businesses and talk to managers and supervisors and business owners. Are you still mm-hmm. helping the grieve? And that's when God or John, somebody came to me and said, you're actually mm-hmm. helping more of the bereaved by doing this. You know, I'm still mm-hmm. doing the, the, the grief work. I'm still going out to the conferences and speaking. This year is, is mm-hmm. an amazing year. I've got invited to uh, not only do an oral presentation, but a poster presentation at ADEC, the Association of Death Educational Counseling, which is mm-hmm. all psychologists. Um, probably okay. one of the biggest accolades that, that I've ever been asked to do because now I'm going to be changing the minds of people that are dealing with the, the mental health professions, if you will. But That's awesome. I thought to myself, you know, I, am, I, am I leaving this world or this world that I'm so compassionate about? Is this the wrong thing to do? No, you're actually helping more to breathe because so few of us actually go out and seek support from other people. 
Exactly. Now we're getting the employers to actually get the workplace prepared. Exactly. Exactly. So, that, I, again, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of what you're doing. It's amazing. Oh, Let me ask thank you. you. Um, just, let's go back to now. Yeah, are you retired from all your 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 police work and working for the government and just focusing on uh, uh, bereavement now, or what else are you doing? I, I I would say it's retirement that I have retired, but I'm actually working more and enjoying it more than I, I was people. before. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I had um, I had owned my own home care business for 25 years and. Work side jobs too, you know, because CF is mm-hmm. very, Joan will tell you, very expensive illness. And retired, you know, and disabled, but I'm working harder now than I've ever had in my life with the show. But the you're, books, you're the, enjoying the, it. My now, now, you, now, you, now you have a peace and a purpose behind it, though. And that's the big thing. Exactly, difference. exactly. It was, it's, remember, now it's not remember, just about making money, you know, it's about doing something with purpose, you know. My biggest thing is from. When, when I said, and John told me to, to go out and serve again, when he came to me in the shower, he said, mm-hmm. how dare you not live out my legacy? And I realized that I was no longer serving. So what I figured I was going to do was go serve. And I thought to myself, you know, mm-hmm. and I said this before, and I don't mind saying it again. I was writing federal proposals. And if anybody, if anybody listening has ever been a proposal writer, if you're writing mm-hmm. a federal proposal for a private business, you are so close to fiction already. Because you're just you're telling the, the federal government why this company is so great. So you're already writing semi-fiction already. Right. Uh, right. And of course, I'm I'm writing nonfiction. But I thought to myself, you know what? If I can go out and make money for other people by writing, right. why can't I write and help my fellow mm-hmm. grievers? Exactly. And, and it's not I even about it, the money because. People get misunderstand that part about us. Um, I get people that look at me and think, "Oh, she wrote a book to make the money." Number one, um, I published with uh, um, Balboa Press, my first one, Hay House, um, um, you know, um, derivative, you know, of of, of um, right. anyhow. Spent a lot of money, and I actually published myself. My next four books, I'm publishing myself. We don't make. Good. I don't. <laughs> I invested five thousand dollars. Okay, I really have mm-hmm. not made even my money back on my book. So it's not about money, people. My show is not about money. I'm not. I don't have sponsors. I pay for my show. It's all volunteer work. So when people think it's about money, it's not because you can't put a price tag on helping others. You know, some may make money it, on it, it or whatever, but it, it unless just, your uh, name is. Unless your name is John Gray or Mark Canfield, um, uh-huh. nonfiction books are not money mm-hmm. makers. Um, no, yeah, it's just the way it is. Uh, they are. You know, I told you, I grew up in doing. a um, small town uh, out of New York City, uh, forty miles north. We had, uh, you know, famous people: Jackie Gleason, Stephen King, and I, I tell people. Uh, I'm not Stephen King. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know yeah. these are all fiction. He makes all this money. The guys are not, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not really into his stuff, and uh, you know, I'm not going to put mm-hmm. him down. But and he's making all this money on these fiction, fiction, fictional stories, and you know, and I'm writing uh, stories. Uh, my first book that's been it's been on the bestseller list on Amazon. People say, oh, bestseller, you got to be making something. No, I'm not. Uh, no. They make all the money, you know. I get like a, maybe a dollar per book, or less than that, you know. But I, I had a five thousand dollars investment, which I just paid off after five years, you know. 
It's so, the same reason um, that you do this. It's the same reason you do this radio mm-hmm. show. It's the same reason yep. why I will travel across country. Now, most of these places I go and speak, uh, they're they're mostly nonprofits. Uh, ADEC is going right. to be different. That's you know that's that's a great thing. But most of these places I go to, six, seven, eight times a year, I, I'm lucky mm-hmm. if I get my hotel paid for, and I'm uh, I'm yep. paying for my own travel. And a lot of times I have to pay the conference fees to go in there and be the keynote speaker. And yeah. I don't do it for the money. I do it for the same reason you do this radio show. I write the books yeah. for the same reason, except for one yeah. thing. And I want to add this, and you know this as well as I do, and I'm preaching to the choir, but in mm-hmm. my books, John will live forever. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yep, the legacy. The legacy. Yeah. And it's not yeah. just name, keeping our children alive in our eyes. It's keeping alive the story of their their purpose that's led us to mm-hmm. our purpose. And, and talking about uh, whatever you want to call it, I call it the domino effect, you know. And uh, it's not bringing it down in that sense of, like, dominoes. But, you know, you hit one and you're going to hit the rest and it's going to bring you to the, you know, to what who you need to be brought to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've had uh, on my private sites, and I'm not going to mention names, but I've had a few moms that um, lost one, sometimes two, uh, two suicide kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And grief is grief, whether it's cystic fibrosis, your son's condition, uh, overdose, uh, suicide. Grief is grief for children, you know. And they're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I, I've had it. I'm, I'm, I've saved lives doing what I'm doing. Because I'm not reading from a book. I'm not a psychologist, okay? I was in the nursing field, had my nursing business, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a pretend to be. But I'm telling and helping you through my own story, saying I've lost two kids, okay, and I'm still here. Were there fleeting thoughts mm-hmm. in the beginning? I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, there were fleeting thoughts, you know, but I sat and I couldn't do anything. Um, you know, it was just my emotions. Thinking, my my other children already lost enough. What are they going to do if they lose me? You know, that's selfish. Right. And so I've actually saved others from suicide. Of course, I give them the suicide hotline number, too. I don't just take it on myself. But who better Mm -hmm. to communicate with these people than someone who didn't read in a book, but somebody who's lived it not once but twice, you know? And, uh, um, and and I'm still here with MS and struggling in pain well, every day and still doing what I'm doing and, and uh, saying, stop, you know, stop. You've got to – you you, What you are providing is, is uh, for lack of a better term, is, is I don't want to just belittle it with this term, but peer-to-peer support. Mm-hmm. And that means more than anything else because, number one, I'll yep. tell you – 99% of the people that have been through a loss and want to seek support, want to seek mm-hmm. support by somebody that's been through the fire. And it's yep. important to them. And, and what yep. we find, and, and I have talked to, I, I've been blessed by, by uh, I don't know if you know the name, uh, Robert Niemeyer, but he is a professor who is the authority on the study of thanatology or the study of death on the living. Uh, he's a okay. professor out in Memphis, and he's invited me to his class numerous times, and he just hands a class over to me, and he goes mm-hmm. away. And, and I did his right. psychiatry class for a couple hours. But anyway, um, he has got a number of psychologists that are in his courses every year because mm-hmm. they have not received grief support as part of their formal training to become a psychologist. 
Does that make sense? Wow. <laughs> so, but yeah. my point is, let, let's 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 date ourselves a little bit here, to, because I always tell people we go looking for authorities when we have problems. So, if I'm looking yeah. for a mental health professional because I am having a hard time with my bereavement, my feelings when I'm grieving, I go to the right. phone book, and I open the right. phone book, and I'm going to find ads for mental health professionals, and in those ads. You're going to find one that says, yes, I specialize in weight loss. I specialize in smoking cessation. I specialize right. in, in marital problems, and I specialize mm-hmm. in grief. So grief is right. number four down there, okay? So wow. most of these people don't want to go see – most of the people that you and I interact with do not mm-hmm. want to go see somebody who hasn't been through the fire. And that's what makes what you're doing so special is because you have been through the fire. People know that when you talk about something, it's from the heart. It's not from a book. book. And if you go back to to what I was saying about the professor, a lot of his Mm -hmm. students are psychiatrists who will tell you that even if they had grief as part of their curriculum, it was glossed over so quickly during their formal courses that they have to come back and get more, more education on grief. Yeah. So yeah, there's just some things you cannot you learn in a book, uh, you know. And I know, like when my daughter passed, I mean, her kids were four and seven. Okay, so I was a grieving mom who wanted to get help for that, who wanted to get help for my grandchildren who, whose mom died, who wanted to get help for my other three at that point living children, one of which also had the same disease. And I'm looking for support groups, and I'm like. I need one that's going to cover all of this. So it was like a, a, mm-hmm. a disaster. And I couldn't find anybody, you know? Right. And I said, yeah. how do I do this? And this is before social media. My daughter died in 2002 on Mother's Day. So there was no Facebook. Mm. There was no venue. Right. There was nothing to vent. Um, many times I felt like when Facebook saved my life in many ways because – I vented. I got condemned a lot of times. Oh, stop, and why don't you grow up and get over it? And So it didn't help in those ways, but there's a lot of times even now I still vent. I mean, even though intuitive and I know they're over there, I still miss the, the human side of it. And there's a mm-hmm. button you can hit, and it's, it's called, uh, you know, you, to yourself on Facebook. I'll vent that way right. because no shrink or no psychologist is going to be able to help me that hasn't lived through it, that hasn't walked through the fire, you know? And um, that's where I feel that people like you, Joan, and I can help others and people Mm -hmm. like us because it wasn't read. It was lived, you know? It was lived. It's real life. It's like one of my nephews that passed through the drug overdose. His sister has become a psychologist. She just uh, recently, she worked at Rikers Island. Everybody knows Rikers Island, New York, helping other prisoners. He wasn't a prisoner, though. But through, you know, a lot of them had drug problems, whatever. So she threw her life into, she's got her, I think, master's now with psychology. And, well, she's since left Rikers and working at a local mental health hospital. Um, But she's taken her grief from her only other sibling and into helping others also. And that's a good psychologist. I'm not saying the others aren't. I'm just saying that's a good that's a good psychologist. She's got the compassion and the love and the understanding. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, and I, I so me, respect me, you, Ron. Let me. Oh, thank you. Let me let me take an opportunity just just to throw in one more project that I'm doing out there. And um, okay, you know, like some of the organizations, uh, Joan and I met at uh, what was called an in loving memory 
conference in uh, Northern Virginia, but it was sponsored by a group called uh, a nonprofit organization, grief support organization called Alive Alone, which is basically uh-huh. uh, for uh, parents who've lost their only child or they have no more children right. left at home. But I also mm-hmm. work with the Compassionate Friends. I work with bereaved parents of the USA. I do their conferences every year. There are mm-hmm. a number of these organizations out there that have regional chapters throughout the country. Every state, every major city, and even some of the smaller cities are covered. If you look them up right. on the website, you could find some place where you can get together peer-to-peer support every month. Yep. Now, yep. my biggest problem when I first lost John is number one, I wasn't going to, to lie on anybody's couch. I'm a guy. Okay. Guys don't see mm-hmm, help mm-hmm. other people. W- w- women do that. And it's a longer conversation we can have on another show. It's just how we're wired. Yep. But yep. I-, I thought about going to one of these conferences and I realized that, that not conference, but I'm sorry, a, a regional chapter meeting uh, right. in the city that I was in. And then I saw that mm-hmm. it was only once a month. And I thought, well, what am right. I going to do for the other 30, 29 days. What, what am I going to do? Right. I started right. a project about um, three months ago. It's called the Bring Your Own Grief Network, and it's on YouTube, mm-hmm. and it can, be, it can be found under Bring Your Own Grief Network. And I, I think the, the banner you put up on the uh, uh, blog talk and radio site shows, shows, right. shows the banner for Bring Your Own Grief on, on Facebook. But it's really right. a YouTube site where I, right now I have over 100 grief support videos that mm-hmm. I've done myself personally. Um, they're all mm-hmm. episodes on dealing with men's grief, uh, dealing with women's grief, dealing with a number of things. And the idea behind it was that even if you're going to seek, and I, I don't mean to stretch this out too far, but even if you're going to seek help through a mental health professional, it's going mm-hmm. to be once a week. It's going to be once a month, maybe. It's going to be on somebody mm-hmm. else's time frame. If I right. do get involved with a local chapter of a national organization, a grief support organization, we're going to mm-hmm. meet once a month. I need right. more support than that. And at the Bring yep. Your Own Grief Network, you can go yep. there anytime and dial into a number of episodes that you can sit down and listen to me talk about some of the things that, that I go out and I speak nationally about. Um, mm-hmm. there's many and they're available on YouTube on also. That's where I found it, right? YouTube? Yeah, they are on YouTube. Um, I only use a Facebook to kind of lead people back to YouTube in a way. Right. Um, Ron, I just want to stop you one a, second. We're down to the last six oh, minutes of the show. Okay. No, uh, this has been very enlightening, not only for the listeners, but for me also. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm going into 16 years this year uh, of my first of my grieving process, losing a child. Uh, seven, just seven mm-hmm. years last Friday with my son. But um, you know, you've enlightened me, and I want to thank you for that. Oh, and, thank you. Um, I just want to tell everybody um, if you go to my event tonight on Facebook called "Love Is a Four Letter Word for Grief," I posted some of Ron's uh, Ron um, R. Ke- well, you go by R. Glenn Kelly on that. Um, I posted I a my, lot of his, my, uh, my friends call me Ron. You can call me Ron. My okay, call me Ron. but I'm just saying for, <laughs> to go to that page and you'll see some of his YouTube's, uh, his site for the BYOB. Is it BYOB? BYOG. Bring your own grief. BYOG. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You bring, it's getting late. Bring your own. <laughs> it, it, 
basically bring your own grief on your own time. But bring your own grief so you can, on your own you time. You can Google that. You can go on that site and, and find support there. Um, we're down to five minutes, so I'm going to round this up. And, uh, Ron, I will be talking to you, uh, you know, I'd li- I really would like to get something going here in New York, um, in in Let's my in the county near me. I'm 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 ready. I'm ready. So I'm gonna reach out to some of the other uh, uh, star stars. I said stars, but not stars. Some of the other uh, people that have come on my show, uh, that have lost children, that have written books, and see if they want to come in on it. Um, maybe some of the intuitives, and maybe get something going here, you know, and maybe do a yearly event here, so in New York. Okay. And we're not far from the city. Like I said, I'm, I'm still about 40 miles from the city. I'm, I'm in Orange County, New York now by Bear Mountain by West Point. But I'm six miles over the bridge to Westchester County where I grew up. So I'm still pretty close to Manhattan. Um, so we're going to put our heads together and see what we can do uh, for the future. And, uh, you know, and, and help so many more people. So I want to thank uh, Ron, Ron Kelly, Ron Glenn Kelly. You're very welcome. And I for coming very on the show, uh, for helping others and helping me. And Joan, thank you for being there. And thank you, Joan. Ron to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank Joan, you, do you have anything to add before we, we leave? we we got about four minutes left, and I'm going to be turning it down, turning the show down. But in about a half an hour, uh, the archive will be ready. I've got I've done about almost 100 shows now in four years. You can go back to any of them, different subjects, readings, whatever. Whatever you want to listen to, you can always go to my site. I have a page called Signs Your Loved Ones Send Us, like the show. Uh, let me know that you heard us on the show to see some of the amazing signs that I've been sending other people. Um, my name is Peggy S I M M A N E S I maiden name and married name hyphenated. My regular Facebook page, if you want to join and let me know that you found us through the show, and just to let everybody know we're here to help you. So, Joan, you want to round up anything? You want to say anything? Well, I think Peggy, this has been an outstanding show. This is one of those Grammy Award or Emmy award-winning shows that they have it on radio. I'm so glad that you and Ron connected. I'm so glad that I got a chance to get you guys connected. I knew that this would be a phenomenal show, and I hope that we have a lot of listeners that really tuned in tonight, too, because, like I said, I spread the word as much as I could. And And I didn't even have to put duct tape on my mouth tonight. (laughs) I'm sorry? I'm I'm kidding. I said I didn't even have to put the duct tape on my mouth tonight. (laughs) I joke about putting duct tape on me. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's okay. But, no, um, I'm glad that that you guys can. And, Ron, thank you for letting me share, actually, a little bit of your – this is your baby here, not me, because I just kind of got you guys together. But if there's Mm -hmm. anything I could do – to help both you and Peggy in this future pursuit of, you know, journeying through um, gathering the troops and maybe getting a grief group going or a convention or whatever you want to call it. I'll, I'll be there. I'll save my money. <laughs> Don't be on the well, we're, plane. We're, we're going we're gonna to hold you to that, right, Ron? <laughs> no, I don't mind. She, she's signing, she's this, a, like she's a, signing this some blood in front of the world now. No. There, there you go. go. There you go. No, there it's go. all good. Joan, no, I love good. That. Everything happens for a reason, and people are brought together for a reason. So once again, you're a yeah. lightning rod for amazing things. So thank you so much, Joan. Yeah. You're very I talk welcome. about that on you're the show. Welcome. There's no I, – I don't call it coincidence. I call it God incidence, synchronicity. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. all connected. Sure. They talk sure. about six degrees of separation. It's a heck of a lot closer than that because it, life is just absolutely amazing. Uh, our kids are absolutely amazing when they were here and still are. 
Um, mm-hmm. um, they connected us, uh, your Marco, my Marcus and Meg. But we're down to the last 90 seconds, guys. I'm going to be saying good night, and thank you all for tuning in to Signs of Love when Send Us. Uh, look for Ron Kelly. Uh, go back, like I said, to the event page. Love is a four-letter word for grief, and you'll find how to connect with him. And God bless you both. Thank you. And God bless Jonathan no, and you. Marco. And no, thank you. <laughs> but no, really, seriously. <laughs> we got to joke a little bit here. But anyhow, um, life does go on. And, and as hard, hard as it can be, it does go on, and we're here for you. Know you're never alone with grief, okay? Just know you're not alone. So I'm going to be saying goodnight from Signs of Love when Send Us, and God bless you all. And Ron and Joan, I'll be talking to you privately in uh, very near future so we can see what we can do thank to uh, get something going, okay? okay God bless you. Thank you again. Good night to both of you. Uh, okay, God bless. God bless. Good night, God Good night bless. now. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>